Welcome to the Nowhere Bus. I'm your driver, Darren Clark. I'm joined by our navigator, a man voted in high school, most likely not to take all the stickers and tags off a new item of clothing before he wears it, my friend, Mal Romanin. This is our season one review for the podcast, wherein we, we handle some awards. Mel talks about his love of, I kid you not, spa music, the challenges he faced in the past trying to convince the modern Major League Baseball player of the greatness of 70s hockey players, his frustration with the modern tomato. We also share some work stories. I name drop a famous kung fu legend. We also answer some questions from listeners. Speaking of which, one of the questions directed my way during this podcast will be about my favorite Canadian musical acts. And I choked on the question. I don't know why, but... I just do that with music. So I wanted to correct that off the top. So first, I'm going to mention a few. Joel Plaskett, Thrush Hermit, Clayton Park is the seminal Canadian album of the 90s for me, the Canadian alternative album from the 90s. For the right here, right now, the soulful and the funky, bad, bad, not good is a must, must listen along with Badge Epox Ensemble. I'll name off some some artists and some great songs. Julie Duaron, Snow Falls in November, Wolf Parade, this heart's on fire. Hands of furs serve the people. Shadowy man on a shadowy planet. Having an average weekend is easy one. There's there's tons of great instrumentals I can't think of because they're, they're instrumentals and the titles don't go with any lyrics. Sandro Perry is somebody to check out for sure. For the dreamy, for the deep, for the instrumental, Do Make Say Think and Tim Hacker are two acts that I think every Canadian should dive into. So there you go. And second... I will attempt to put a link to uh, a playlist of, of these artists and songs in the description for the podcast to check out so, so that I don't entirely fail this question that, that I should get as a Canadian who loves music. I also probably never fully realized my answer to the question, is Joe Rogan dangerous? In that it bears mentioning that the Antifa boogeyman couldn't have been played as effectively to deflect from the actual serious issues of the Trump crime syndicate running the country if Joe Rogan, the boy who cried Antifa, wasn't so inclined to provide a pulpit for unchecked conspiracies and entirely corrupt, opportunistic voices like Andy Ngo. So hey, hang on. Everybody's wound up on this podcast, including some hot, hot takes from Justin Drummond and a grand finale in the form of a song from the band Justin provides part-time public relations services for, Melody Motel. Enjoy. So, what's going on? Big job guy. Big job guy. Uh, yeah, that- that was fun yesterday. It was funny how that worked too, because there was all sorts of technical issues because it was a video interview. Of course. And I tested tested on Zoom. Then I and it wasn't on Zoom though, but I wanted to, to kind of get a feel for how everything looked and if I had everything set up. And then I tested on their system prior to the interview, right? Because I didn't want right, 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 right. Stupid technical things had to happen on the interview. But I tested it. Everything's fine. Everything's cool. Get on that call. Everything went wrong. Oh, right and it's just it yeah so it ended up it was good i had my phone though because i figured did you wear that hat i just just no i did not wear this hat <laughs> i did not wear a hat on the on the call okay. but uh yeah, it was it was funny it was funny we're the 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 funny thing is that one of the questions on it was 
you know, name a time you had to deal with uh, the, the dumbest, somebody who question ever. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you got to ask some questions and I think how the people, the person handles it says more than the question a lot of times. Sure, right? So sure. I don't really I blame people. What your job you're, you're interviewing for, I guess. Yeah, so she's asking about a time I had to deal with a, an irate customer and, the only one I could think of, because it's funny, because I checked their website and saw they actually had, here's the questions we asked in an interview. So I prepped yeah. for those. And then it turns out they didn't ask me any of those questions. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had all this preparation there and it, it didn't play out. But so when she asked me the question about dealing with an irate customer, the only person I could think of was this guy when I worked for the, that small cell phone with Mobilicity. Mm-hmm. And it, this guy's name was Howard. And he would call in. And drive, just go by. He, first, he talked about the CRTC, threaten people. He's right. irate. He's angry. I'm going to go to the CRTC, which is like just ridiculous, of right? It it's like yeah. somebody threatening you with Santa Claus when you're 40. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just, you're not that worried. So, yeah. when somebody mentioned the CRTC on an escalated call, it, it was always clearly you just have no idea how the CRTC works. But so, anyway. And I start talking about it and I'm like, how did I end up using this as my answer? Because Howard, Howard would call in, upset everybody, threaten them, yell, scream. And for the first couple of times I took escalator calls. No, no, he didn't. The problem, the biggest problem with him was he didn't have a specific problem (laughs) or else you could solve it. Right. And he, he worked very hard to keep his problems very ambiguous to avoid us having to, to solve them, right? Being able to solve them. Good play, good play. So, it is. So the first couple of times I took escalated calls with them, I would say to them, like, you can't call in and harass people. I mean, you're, you're upsetting people. These people are just coming to work to do their job and try to help people and then go home and, and live their lives. And, mm-hmm. and you're upsetting them without a reason, right? There's probably no reason to do that anyways. So, but that didn't work. All it meant was he would call in a hundred more times right after talking to me. So I finally decided what I'm going to do is treat this guy like he's my best buddy in the world. That I was, there was nobody I was ever in my life happier to hear from than <laughs> him. So it'd be like, Howard, Howard, how are you? So I became his best buddy, right? And he'd right. say things to me like, it, I think I threw him for a little loop by doing that. And then he'd be like, you know what you guys should do? You should start service in China. There's a lot of people there. And I've been like, that's a, that's a terrific idea. And then he'd be like, you know, I know a guy who's got a helicopter. So if you wanted to start service in London, we could use a helicopter to bring a tower. Because that's all you need is one tower. One to tower. service, yeah, One cell tower. That services all of London, Ontario. Right? So these would be the things we were, we were talking about. I always pictured him like we would, we I put him on mute a lot of times while he's telling me some story about being yeah downtown Toronto and, and accidents and random people that would bump into him and, and tell him, you know, get in touch with the president of Ireland to, <laughs> to straighten things out. So I would just hit mute and I would say to like whoever's beside me, I picture him making craft dinner with chopped up hot dogs while this call is going on. You know, that's, that's what you meant. Now, I, di- I didn't get that elaborate in my answer, right. but it, I found myself like, this is not probably the call to use. It's a little too, too elaborate. Yeah, yeah, right. But that's where I have, you went. It worked. I have a, I have a complaint about you. 
<laughs> and it's this. It's this. Many do. Many do. So you came by like a week ago and did something very sweet and very nice. Okay. And you brought some some wine and some chocolate. And it always turns for my wife. Somehow there's a complaint. Well, here's a complaint. It's those stupid chocolate bars have been sitting there for a week. Like, look, it, if you give me chocolate bars, those chocolate yeah. bars, two chocolate bars, nice lint chocolate bars, very well, well done by you, right? Those wouldn't last mm-hmm. two days. They'd be dead. Right. One would be dead the first day for sure, within like an hour. For sure. Because I love yes. chocolate. So I'm just walking by in the kitchen all the time, a one and a half chocolate bars just sitting there. Like, eat them. Like, I, and I've said to her before, like, look, there's like a 24-hour rule here. After you got 24 well, hours. I would give her a time frame yeah. for sure. Like, there's, But they're there's a present, right? They're a, these are a gift. So it's a little different. Right? I'm trying to be respectful. But you, you did this. You brought this into our world. <laughs> So today's app remind me never again to be to, nice, to, to, sweet, to, to be. This is backfires. Yeah, yeah. So and it, yeah, she she should be consuming the chocolate with the damn wine. It. That that was the idea. Yeah, damn it, consume things. That's that's the that is the idea. That's <laughs> what we right. do. That's what we do. Uh, that's the modern world, right? But so today's season one review. We've done twelve episodes, dozen episodes, wow. seven guests, including Stu Christie twice. Just to. To see what other noises he could bring to the, the table. Was he not available today for the finale? Or Well, no. And I thought it would just be you and I. I've actually got a couple sure. of awards to give out. So it'll be... Uh, uh, you win the, the coffee cup on the desk award, by the way. <laughs> I, to, I just thought... Because you just did it there. Like that one. I, did, I wasn't I just, sure coming to the show, but... And I actually... I know I actually you got a coaster or something. Paper. But you made me laugh, so I put it down harder on the pad right, of paper. Right. It went right through the pad. <laughs> and then we'll have... So you you got to close out strong. Right. Close right. out strong. Yeah. I, you know, the first thing I was thinking of today, I figured we could start off with just some stream of consciousness stuff, was... And, I've, and I was wasn't sure if I wanted to talk about it, was Rush Limbaugh died yesterday. Yes. And if yes. you're a family member of Rush Limbaugh, I would, I would say, you know, I'm sorry for your loss, and, and I would urge you to stop listening now. They may um, not be either. Because he's like, to me, he represents oh. everything that's wrong with the modern conservative movement in North America. And he's been an influence on it. You know, just just a oh, crazy, oh. cruel, mean-spirited man who wielded power. As, For strictly his, his much, own profit. Absolutely. And he got the Medal of Freedom from the Trump regime. Well, I mean, regime. right. I but, mean... This whole mindset, and I was thinking about, Caroline tried to watch the Bill Burr comedy special this week. And I was curious when she put it on because I had tried to watch it uh, two weeks before. And He's a I funny got, man. He's a funny man. Well, okay. I, I, and I, that's why I started to watch it. I found him funny on occasion and obviously has an agile mind. But I honestly made it a minute in. So I was wondering how long she would. And I didn't say anything. And she made it in, I would say, about five minutes before she turned it off. And I thought, here's the problem I have with the modern comedic movement is that they're just such whiny ass bitches. Like, I, like for all their supposed toughness and why can't people be more tougher? Why are you guys so sensitive to somebody saying to you? Like what, like what Burr's big thing was that people were complaining about things. People in a world where there are massive, disastrous consequences for a lot of people, life and death, 
consequences for people throughout the world. You're talking about people complaining on Twitter. And this is when I see it, Seinfeld, uh, Chappelle, who I love, but guilty of as well. Ricky Gervais, same thing. A guy like Joe Rogan, who has massive influence through his, his podcast in North America. And I just, here's my thing with Joe Rogan. It, it's hey, so, so, so before you answer that, before you lay that out there, sure. I had two questions for you from, from uh, our friend and listener, Emma. And one of them was, is Joe Rogan dangerous? So I might as well throw Absolutely. that out there. I'll throw Absolutely. it out there before you go on and give the answer to the question. He's massive. You know what? He reminds me of like a bouncer at a club that everybody knew was a complete sadist. But he would go around and when he was talking to women, quote Carl Sagan, <laughs> you know, to, to give the pretense of being thoughtful without ever doing any thought, right? And he's wickedly dangerous. And this is what I'm talking about. I mean, first, if you're a comedian, you know, it's the old uh, the line from Moneyball where Billy Bean says, if he's a good hitter, why doesn't he hit good? Right. And, and I say, if you're a comedian, why is it you're never funny? Like, you got to be funny on occasion, once. It's just, it's mean-spirited. It's the most, the worst kind of fragile maleness, white fragility, male fragility. It's just, these guys are so afraid of somebody saying to them, you're being a dick when they're being a dick. And it's more than fair. Like, it's like Dave Chappelle, who, you know, I find I find very funny. But right. What he is constant whining about people saying, hey, you know, when you're making fun of vulnerable people, it puts them in a more vulnerable position. So when he's talking about trans people for a cheap joke, and it, it makes me think of, did I ever tell you about when I used to deliver cars? <laughs> I didn't know you delivered cars. I did. <laughs> Once I returned from Montreal, I was... Uh, in a little bit of a tight spot for money. How do I not know this? I just... Well, because I've done a lot of sad yes. things in my time. But how it worked was this. We go to Scarborough. We'd pick up cars, drive them to Niagara Falls, New York, to this little car lot to another... with a owned by a, a guy with a 10-gallon hat on and one of right. those those bolo ties. Like, I kid yes, you not. Yes. So that's – and then they get the odometers changed there. And then we drive those cars to Orchard Park. Really? They change the odometer. It's it's all sketchy all the time, wow. right? So, of course. but and it's what fast. The used car salesman is not an honest man. Well, and this despite, is where, I'm, despite the commercials, and this is where I'm going with it because it was we got paid by the delivery and the amount of dead time. Like I had a hacky sack with me at all time, hacky sack <laughs> and, and cigarettes at the time because I spent a lot of time smoking and kicking a hacky sack and car parking lots waiting for salesmen to get their stuff together. And I thought, who who becomes a car salesman? This is a wild gener generality. But but I'm going to say, based on the people I interacted with, that they were people who didn't want to ever have to work for anything, had really no skills other than the ability to schmooze somebody for a maximum of 20 minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But they a limited wanted, amount of time. Yeah. But they wanted that pretense of looking rich and what have you. And they're really just lazy. So I was sitting around because they were incompetent and had no work ethic. They didn't care. To them, right. we were lower than them. Oh, no doubt. Of their ability the, delivery boy, the delivery boy is way lower. It's, it's funny that the people less entitled to be pretentious and feel better than. And I don't think anybody should by virtue of what they do. 
But the people less qualified to do that are the ones always in the biggest hurry to be that way, right? And and I think when I watch Rogan and a lot of these comedians work, I think it's just laziness. You're too lazy to come up with a joke that doesn't offend somebody. And I get that you should be able to cross some lines with a little bit of recklessness. I get that. But what are the real consequences? You are doing that. It's just the fact is when you do that, some people are going to say, hey, that's a bit of a jerky move and you got to be strong enough to handle it. You chose that damn occupation. Nobody's taken away your car. Nobody's taken away your house. Nobody's taken away your job. Nobody's putting your kids in cages. There's really no giant consequences other than you guys are just too thin-skinned and lazy to deal with the consequences of it. It's just the whole cancel culture thing. It's consequences. It's actions and consequences. And really the consequences aren't that harsh a lot of times. It's simply saying to somebody, like, where's the trail of carnage? Show me the trail of carnage for you. Your number one concern is this. Show me the trail of carnage. There's not, what, one person well, losing true. a job working for you Walt just, Disney? You because she, well, you just want to feel comfortable in the life. You don't want anybody to change your life. That's all. It's like the, yeah, uh, the I like this way of living for some reason. Yeah, you don't want to explore what you're doing. You don't want right. to be accountable and you don't want to have to take a look at it. So to the question, Emma's question about Joe Rogan, is he dangerous massively? Because so many people listen to him and it's so seductive that tune that there's this massive group of people that are really hard done by. Those that massive group of people happen to be generally people that, that are entitled. And and that gets back to Rush Limbaugh. they're 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 these guys like Rogan and Limbaugh are smart enough to realize the power of media. And they, there was a market that they tapped into where they knew they could have substantial influence and make lots of fucking money. That was the point. And Absolutely. Limbaugh did it and he took advantage of that. And people didn't realize Christ that created Fox news based on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Based on his takes and the amount of normal normal white guy dads that listen to that stuff all day long and moms and were impacted and influenced and became hardened hardened political view people based on what he was telling them yeah. it just made a whole lot of people really ugly really well, look, really yes. you know they hardened. tap into the, the yeah. very worst about us they tap into it and they try to make people fully embodied just the worst characteristics and we've really seen it happen i mean only motive is profit their only motive now i will say yep and maybe i need to rethink how i view things and i think you make some good points i've always been able to just completely suspend reality when i listen to a comedian and not take his words too ser seriously and just laugh at the joke was it funny didn't make me laugh and i don't go beyond that and maybe I need to, maybe I need to actually think beyond that uh, because it does have influence. I just think the comedian has substantially less influence than somebody who pretends he's trying to influence. Rogan, Limbaugh, they actually are blatant in their attempt to change your mind. I think a comedian, I've always just said, ah, that's 30 minutes of fun and I don't take them too seriously. I don't take what Bill Burr says too seriously. You know what I mean? Right, right. I just, I just, did. was that funny to me? Did it make me laugh? And I, and I don't necessarily think he believes it either. You know, and maybe, maybe well, I'm the fool. Maybe I'm the well, fool there. He started his show 
with a thing about people are complaining that there was a disabled character in a movie set that wasn't played by a disabled character. I saw I saw the show. Okay, so that's that's thing. honestly where I checked out because that's really that was his first joke really and and here's why for some reason i'm laughing because it's so absurd it's i cool. can actually laugh it's, well, people you're laugh making at... me chuckle and i guess i feel terrible now but i laughed well you could uh, to me it's like well you know the problem is that these people are discriminated against that's why I, I people know, are yes. complaining about it so yeah. to act like it's some trivial, silly thing, like, well, they're acting. So why, what, like, that's the whole idea of acting. If they're really disabled, they're not even acting is a joke, right? That's predicated upon that absurdity. But there's real prejudice here. It's same with, with Chappelle and the trans jokes. But, but that's it, not it the perpetuates, prejudice. it perpetuates bias. Prejudice. What's that? Yes, it is. That, okay. It okay. perpetuates a bias. It, it says, don't think about when people complain about things, don't think about it. And you know what? People will complain about stupid things in life, but you still have a little bit of an obligation to think about things because sometimes they're complaining about things that need to change. Like once upon a time, somebody said, you know, I think six-year-olds working in factories is a bad thing. If people, if people were like, if making jokes about it, what else are six-year-olds supposed to do? I mean, really, I was just sitting around my house picking his nose. It was either that or working in a factory. Put up the work. Put up the work. Line. It's like if you, if you want to pick your nose, you could do that on an assembly line. It's the same kind of, <laughs> you know, repetitive motion. It, it's Make a, yourself useful. Yeah. I don't know. It, I think there, there are consequences to the things you say. And when you're popular, these things get it, – it influences the kind of spirit of thought of a time. I'm not saying that they can't I, I can't disagree with that. When you're popular, it does. It does – it, I mean, even subconsciously, it probably influenced my thinking on some level, right? Look at Ricky Gervais. Look at Ricky Gervais comes out of the Global Wars. He's like, and he just rips on celebrities for talking about things that they think are important. Right. And it baffles me. It's like, well, what about you? Like, you're the same guy saying, don't censor me in any sing single way when I'm saying things that are, are kind of can have negative impacts on society and here you are saying you guys shouldn't talk about things that would make society theoretically better like what kind of mindset goes on there and Gervais I think I, I like a lot of times but, but he I think sees just, himself as the everyday man that's why he right? does and he's not he's like he's jumped right. the shark on that there's a bit of a there's a bit of an ego thing I think with Ricky Gervais thinking he knows better than everybody so oh no, there's no question. That's that his premise. Thinks. Like he what he believes, he believes, and he believes strongly. And I don't know. I guess there's some I don't know. I I, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Do you want to at do you some wanna... point when you're when you're multi-millionaire beyond reality, it's hard to still identify with the common man. You just can't. I think yeah. you gotta change your approach. Yeah, for sure. What were you, what were you gonna say? Two there's two questions, right? Do you want to do the other question? Uh let's see what it is. What do I have here? I have to actually read my writing. Oh no. It, it's it's much simpler. It's not less uh yeah, sure, let's just go to it. Another question I picked up for her. She just wanted your take on, on Canadian music and give me uh, a few of your, your best Canadian bands and your worst Canadian bands. Huh. Well, oh that's you know, I'm the worst. It's like if you ask me that question, I actually have to go to my my library to start looking like it's like when i'm in a record store i'm like there's so many choices here i get so excited i, I can't think of anybody i like i have to just i go agree i just go blank 
I go blank. <laughs> but I, I would say, I mean, things come to mind because I recently did uh, one of my 90 minute to love articles on a band called Holy Fuck. Okay. And they are, they're, they're out of Montreal. And it's, it's kind of electronic, but I love the fact it's really, it's got, organic elements to so it. So it was either that or Avril Lavigne. You were like... Uh, well, not... You, a, oh, you know what? You talk about Canadian music and in, in the worst of Canadian music. Yeah, I, I was also reminded part of, the of the Olympics from 2010, which was a debacle. Because I saw one of my old memories from Facebook from 2010, and it was me just going off on that lineup of Avril Lavigne and Nickelback and Sarah McLaughlin and... like. I used to I like, Sarah, to like McLaughlin, Sarah McLaughlin, but yeah. I saw her live in Toronto back in, I don't know, it would be the nineties. Sometimes it was early in her career. Uh, and it was maybe the convocation hall or something like that, but it was for the first four songs. I literally had tears coming out of my eyes. It was so beautiful, voice. beautiful. Right. But then it started, something started to turn in me. It was just, it's over and over and over the same thing. Like I remember saying to my buddy after the show, I wanted to jump down and hit the guitarist distortion pedal or something <laughs> just to have something genuine and in the moment kind of energy happen. It felt too. And you know what? This might just be the way I prefer music. Not, I, I think being older, I can kind of look at it that way. An example of someone I love from kind of quieter generate feist to me is, is outstanding. Arcade fire. It's not that terribly original to like arcade fire, but a few of their albums, like Funeral, are are amazing. Are you um, the, the Hamilton band? Um, everybody raves about them. What's their name? Why is it escaping me? I somehow feel like you might connect with that on some level as far Sheep as dogs popular. Or... No, 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 no. Um, uh, why is that escaping me? Stop it, Thomas. Somebody we got to talk about if we're going to talk about Canadian bands. Right. Because to me, it's just such a, a complete original. The Real Statics are a band that i think every canadian should know do you know i like i think they do a good job of capturing what is unique about our area without being kind of rednecky about the idea of like overly nationalistic and everything it's just celebrating the unique things that happen attached to this particular geography and the history uh, around it and you know the group of seven album that they did they got i mean they have a song called the ballad of wendell clark (laughs) which there's there's all sorts of great songs there. I mean, Tragically Hip, I say in the 90s, I sort of got sick of rock radio playing them every yes, second song. Me it too. was like ACDC, Tragically Hip. 100%, which I appreciate them much more now uh, and when they first came to be. The Arkells was the band I'm thinking of. Yeah, they don't do anything for me. They I don't find do it, it's too tame. I, I just, blah. Just so tell me about Holy yeah. Fuck. Well, Holy Fuck's pretty much instrumental. They have Which a little bit of I vocals love. on their most recent album. Their most recent album is Deleters. I, I just love them. There's like an energy to it. It's like the best possibilities of dance music. Really? It's not dance music, though, but it just has this real vibrancy and energy to it. And they they have, I mean, any vocals that they do are, are wildly distorted. And there's just these layers and layers, of different landscapes. So it's it's complex, but it still has that kind of primal energy to it that gets you going. And sometimes we'll just take you in more of a, a kind of moody different spaces. Right. But the real drums, the real bass, and they, don't get me wrong. There's electronic drums woven in there as well, but 
those or, organic touches, I think, give it give it more of a vibrancy than a lot of. I, I'm a huge lover of electronic music, uh, but I, I do find not dislike it. I do really not dislike it. Goes into different areas that a lot of times electronic music tends to stay within these very definitive borders in terms of uh, sound textures, and they're they're willing to go outside of that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm an I, I'm a fan of an inordinate fan of sorry a fan of an inordinate amount of spa music, which I'm sure most people find amusing. But I find it's almost like a precursor to electronic music sometimes, where they'll take it further. But I just love the landscapes and you know just where it takes you at times, and you can just kind of have it as part of your day in the flow. You know what I mean? It's yeah, just, I love it. I just love that kind of thing, and I'm sure I've heard "Holy Fuck" on some of your the music you've sent along or, or put out on. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, they're yeah. in my mixes all the time. Mm-hmm. Another guy I I would I have to mention from around. Well, first, Del Steven is our boy, and he was on here, and he I was love a guest. his music. That's correct. That's uh, Daniel correct. Daniel Romano or Romano, excuse me, from from Washington. So yes. so right here, his. His latest album, Daniel Romano and the Outfit, I can't remember the album title, is fantastic. And he, he's really a gifted guy. And how would I, you describe it? It's definitely got a bit of an alt country vibe, but okay. I don't think he has a lot of well, and one of the exciting things about music now, when people talk about the 70s, and I only listen to stuff from 60s and 70s, and I just I just want to slap them and tell them. That is great music, and I understand why people have an attachment to the 70s. It's, it's, there's really it's something phenomenal. genuine and unique there. But right here and right now, there are a lot of people that almost feel less encumbered with worrying about what lane they're in and just exploring. So when I listen to Daniel Romano, I can hear some kind of like Beatles sort of things, but I can also hear like alt country. So like Wilco influences and even like a lot, a lot of these guys – there used to be that adversarial nature to music where we would be, if we're in high school, which team are you on? Are you on the rock and roll skid team? Right. Are you on the, I mean, if it's a very small group, but the the kind of punk new wave group, or were you just yep. popular no, music has. group? You know, like you picked your side and you stayed on your side yep. and you did not go out of it. Yeah, you were on a team. You yeah, and now team. I think in, when people rip on millennials and anything, I what I like about them is they have less of our silly uh, partisanship that never helped us. You know, I was doing, I was working no. on a playlist today, and it was based on a bar that I used to hang out with, hang out at in the in the early '90s, and it was they played a lot of new wave and a lot of punk and, and different stuff. It's called Gourds. It was uptown. I don't yes, know if you ever wow, went to Gourds. Everybody that grew up in a Niagara region knows chords. Right. Yes. And it was, and I got to yeah. tell you, when I first started going there and I maybe late eighties, early nineties, I was sure a little 80s. intimidated by the crowd. And I think. So was I very, I, th- I think it was because there was elements to that music, particularly if we're talking music, that's uh, like the post-punk stuff, the darker stuff, the cure and what have you that had elements, emotions and, feelings vibes and a sexuality sometimes that that i wasn't mature to fully get i wasn't mature enough to fully understand it so therefore i rejected it in some ways i felt intimidated by it and i wish i hadn't in in retrospect nobody rejected sexuality more than a heavy metal crowd that i was part of absolutely well (laughs) i was thinking about it you know this this idea of reviewing the first season of our podcast and the fact that we've 
only had one woman on the show. And I don't know how we were going to up that amount given I don't have a ton of female friends. And I think a lot of that was just, well, I think I can say it simply, but not being terribly great with women over the course of my life in terms of just always them being too, I was either too in awe or too disconnected or, or too ignorant of what women were. I, I, I don't know how to explain it, but I, it's just never been a, a real gift of mine. I, th- I just think in general, our viewpoint from the way we grew up and the way our parents grew up and the way they imparted the world on us. So I think we're just intimidated and afraid of women. Honestly, it was either think, intimidated or afraid or too in awe of it to, well, to recognize too. them as just people to talk to. And I find now that's that's obviously getting better. And, and you know, they're they're impacting our world much more than they ever did before, which is a great thing. And, yeah. and I think we're learning how to just deal with people as human beings rather than this this overtones of sexuality that's just always there. And. As a man in a male world, we just never knew how to handle that. And right. still, and then we wake up and we're 50 years old and we don't have a lot of female friends that way, yeah. <laughs> which I think we're improving on. I feel I have a lot more now than I ever did. You know what well, I mean? So I, I think I could give away so the our, ideas. We got to get them on the podcast. I can give away our first award. And, and anybody who wins an award today gets inducted into the uh, Nowhere Bus Non-Hall of Fame Hall of Fame. Yeah. I think that would only be right. Mm-hmm. So... Best female guest in season one. The nominees are, uh, let's see, it's Asha, Asha C. That's it. The winner, Asha C. Well, I hope she didn't lose. Right, right. That would have been, been, been a really bad episode. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you a funny story about Asha and Andy, our, one of our other guests, that they actually met one time. Really? One time. Okay. And it was... Asha and I were out. She was pregnant at the time. So we're out at the mall and she had me with her as, because as she said, you're a good carrier. I'm a, I was good at carrying things. So we're out. And at some point we're at the Penn Center and she mentioned chest of drawers. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What, what, do, you, what do you mean by a chest of drawers? Right. And so she's going, I'm like, do you mean a dresser? So yeah. We get in this argument that's so animated because I'm saying chest of drawers is not a thing. I don't know where if you read that in a book from 1727 <laughs> about a pirate who had it and buried it along with his treasure, but nobody's using that here and now. So we're in like Zares in our we're Where's so, your chest of drawers. Right. And it's it's such an animated argument that people in the supermarket are actually involving themselves in it. And really? Bit, like one lady's like, I'm familiar with chest drawers. That's something to use. And I'm like, you know That's, what? This is I'm a Seinfeld even... episode. Right. And there's some dudes like, no, it's not. It's not in current use. That's uh so I'm like, you know what we'll do is we'll go to my place. And I was living with Andy a couple blocks away and we'll ask Andy. He's a teacher. So we go over and Andy, as you saw from the podcast, is one of the most socially gifted people I know. No question. His charm and knack with people is, is unrivaled and it's legitimate. There's nothing phony about Andrew at all. But on this particular occasion, so we come in the house and I, I break down the situation to Andy. who just come home from work, in fairness, and he's getting jumped with this idiotic scenario. Is chest of drawers a legitimate <laughs> thing to say in English? So, and, it's, and it was like watching Barishnikov come out on stage, trip over his own two feet and land on his ass. Because the first thing he said, and I know where he was going with this, but it came out wrong. He says, 
I don't mean it's in a bad way. <laughs> that's never a good start. Right. That isn't a good start. That, that's a start I usually do. That's right? right. I don't mean it's bad in a bad way, but how long have you been in Canada? And right there, right there. And I know he knew it line. and I yeah. knew it. It's, oh, it's not what he meant, but it came out that way. And you're with Asha. So now you're dead. You, yeah, you less than human. Right. Asha would reference him for years with a special venom. <laughs> your, you know, your roommate who was supposed to be a teacher, <laughs> supposed to be a teacher, right? Because we found a dictionary downstairs. It did have chests of drawers in it. For the next six months, everywhere I went, I was running into, if I'm in Ikea, there's a chest of drawers being advertised. Like it was just, I was wrong. Andy was wrong. And, and Andy was never forgiven for that. I think she's still to this day is probably still angry with him. And I feel bad. I didn't bring it up in the podcast because I thought it portrayed him in a light that he didn't deserve to be. Right. Not our first, first meeting anyways. Yeah. Other award. When and if I do have a beer with, with Andy, I'm bringing it up. <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully you remember. He might've just purged it from his memory. So the other award, I just have one more award. Okay. It's a uh, most cavalier disregard for the fundamental audio nature of our podcast. The, the nominees are number one, Stu Christie and Peculiar for Peanuts. Number two, Mal Romanin in All Cups, No Coasters. And number three, Justin Drummond in Paper Avalanche Romance, which was, which was I edited it out, but it just sounded like every once in a while, Justin had like a mountain of papers collapse on him. You know, it was just wavering and teetering and he made too much of a, a racket during our podcast. The winner, Stu Christie. It has to or be Peculiar Stu for Peanuts. Peculiar. Uh, but the, and the beautiful thing, if anyone is listening, they, they don't get the full effect. If you saw the video, the way Stu would kind of just lean back, pop and peanuts. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, yeah. like he was just, Completely relaxed, complete disregard right. for the surround. The man was was just pontificating, taking in everything while just throwing the peanuts back. Like this was just a, a beautiful Sunday afternoon in the park. Right. It was just a beautiful yeah. vision to go along with the sound of the I peanuts mean, most, in the mouth. Most people would do that and we'd be like, we'll never invite this guy back. But the charm he did it with, the absolute oh. cool disregard for... For anything. Made it made it all the more charming. Do you know what our, our most listened to podcast is as of this morning? As of this morning, I'm gonna say the the Andy episode. No, it's second. And it, he might end up overtaking it, but it was Jesse. The uh the Kyle Dubas really down. Well yeah, it's, and here's the funny thing about that. I've had some people comment to me that nobody needs to listen to another podcast about the Toronto Maple Leafs and our opinion on it. And ironically, maybe they do. Maybe that's what people want to listen to because that was the basis of the podcast. Were they were they people that actually listened to that episode? Yeah, and as much so as they, they could. They didn't think we offered anything unique. No, I don't they, really they have did. a problem. They with thought that. it was fine. It's just how many more podcasts do you need with fair, Toronto Maple Leafs sports? Well, I mean, and I'm fair, but I guess there's a lot because people are interested in it. Well, and it could be just Jesse has lots of friends. <laughs> could, be that, could be that's it as well. Among um, our so, guests, Jesse's the most popular. That's the award. <laughs> well, which, I, which knowing Jesse is not surprised. Right, right. I mean, who doesn't like Jesse? Right. Uh, aside right. from Justin trolling him in that one episode <laughs> with, he's not great, which is 
So classic. I have a couple questions from Justin as well, too, by the way. I, okay. Well, I suppose maybe we should put things, we should look for podcasts on people who don't like Jesse. I'd like to see yeah. what that's all about, actually, if there's any people out there. Well, but I the, thought in reviewing the first season, one of the things I thought about was the problem with being a sports podcast is just aside from what, what your friend said to you was, I'm just not that interested in. I don't want to do that either. Like, I don't know how they do it. Like, it was like, I've stopped watching Leaf games. Well, I'm not 22 anymore. I just, right. my life has more not... to it than the, because I could do a Sabres podcast. And maybe I should, because I, I truly, it's near and dear to my heart and I watch every game. But nah, like, it's punishing enough to watch the Sabre game. At some point, you got to leave it behind. You know what I mean? Or my and life think... is just a full of negativity. And I've I've realized throughout my life I have tuned out of sports, some sports that I love, like baseball, for years. I know me too. There's been a few years where I just like, and not on, intentionally. It's just to me, there's so many other things in life, and I also don't. And well, I'm because I'm willing tuned, to let it go. Baseball tuned me out. That to me, yeah. that's part of it. They tuned me out. They're 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 not interested in me as a fan anymore. It's just the whole thing way we talked about what we talked about off the top about Limbaugh and and Rogan. Baseball and sports are also disregarding a lot of fans and the beauty of the sport for instantaneous profit. The next quarter, how do we maximize profit? And in doing so, they're losing a lot of well. It's fans more the than beauty. It's not a long-term solution, that's for sure. And you kind of, I kind of have to tune you out because I'm not real happy about yeah. what it looks like when I turn it on. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that's symptomatic of there was an article in the I think it was the Thorough News the other day about <laughs> Battle of Beaver Dam's Park and them wanting to because they made some changes and modifications to the park and they wanted to figure out how to have greater utilization of the park. And I said, I responded by saying, maybe like, we always think this way in terms of efficiency and utilization in a world of overdevelopment and overcrowding and over everything. Maybe yeah. we need some less utilized spaces. Maybe we need to not look at utilization as the damn key to life. Yeah. How about you just look after it and then let it be. You know what? Like sleeping by their measure, sleeping makes zero sense. You should never sleep. Yes, it's yes. you're you're wasting away your time. But it's so important. It's fundamental. You gotta. You can't just breathe in all great, the time. Great you gotta analogy. breathe out. You yeah. know, it's just we, we ignore how we fundamentally operate and and how we we create the world around us. We shape you're, you're, you're missing. Yeah, you're missing the most important parts. The most fundamental part of what makes life life is sleep. And that's, you're missing the most important parts of baseball. You're missing the most important parts of how we communicate for instant profit. And eventually that costs you as a society. And I think we're seeing that or whatever it is. Right. That's a good analogy. Don't, don't I will say sleep, too, man. It's not efficient. You're right. <laughs> and I will say as far as baseball goes, I've kind of come to terms with it. I can go watch games from the eighties if I really feel like it. Like I'm, I, don't, I haven't, I have to come be able to reconcile the fact, you know, the old serenity prayer. I don't have much control over it. I don't. And, but I'll Fair. be, I, this, I think we're falsely inflating at times. Like I think I'm guilty of it at times, putting a, a greater importance on these things than there really is. There's other things to do. Yes. Baseball is a wonderful game. Yes. It's a bit disappointing the way it's going, but I have to be able to find some other options. And I think there are, 
There's there tons of is. options, right? So there always is. Or we talk about lack of imagination sometimes with corporations. We got to have some imagination ourselves and finding other things to do instead of sit around and complain about corporations who aren't likely to change in the near future, really. That's just yeah. reality. So right? you're right. So we can choose just to be angry at it. And in effect, we're the only ones upset because they don't care. They're not changing. But at the same time, it does bother me that the things that I find near and dear and beautiful are fading away and you know how beautiful they can be and my kids won't get to enjoy it and their kids won't get to enjoy it but again maybe that's the way it goes and they'll find new things that are beautiful i don't know there's there's always creative people that are creating beautiful things and innocent you know with without an agenda behind it and maybe that's just the circle of life too in some senses don't get me wrong i've i've I mean, I've written blog articles on how baseball can make itself better. I think there is a time and place to kind of express your concerns and and valid concerns. I do think, though, for me, I have to remind myself how much of my life and energy am I going to give to something I have limited control of? It's just about the proportion in which I I handle that. Well, it's like I I watched, again, and we've talked about these sort of things before. Look what just happened to the Tribune Company. Got up, bought out by a hedge fund the other day. And yeah. here we go again. And here's what I don't like. I don't like that my children, it's, it's are their information's coming from these sources. I just want them to think about what the agenda is behind these things. Journalism is, is being crushed, crushed. Mm-hmm. So they only care about killing journalism to make profits. They don't care what happens to the product, the people in it. They don't care anything about it other than reducing these newspapers to just quarterly balance sheets that they can maximize profits and then sell it off for nothing and be done with it. You know what I mean? And I have a problem with that in the fact that it just doesn't impact me. I see what's happening and I want my kid to know that the news they're getting isn't what they think it is, you know, and what's the agenda behind it. And it's just like it happened the other day. There's just no news sources left. Every piece of news you get is coming from a disingenuous place. Well, that's why in Canada, we should be aware of not to belabor this because we have talked about it a a fair amount, but I think Canada is in a more dangerous place in the States is because all our newspaper and and our kind of major information sources are owned by hedge funds. Who have Every shown a, a complete disregard for they have no integrity. It's not what they do. It's not something that's remotely on the radar. So yeah. and, and the viewpoint that comes out for the people who are left writing, you better know what the viewpoint is. They can't provide an honest opinion. They can't, you know, question authority. It's just not allowed anymore. In and right. And they're smart like, enough. A lot of it's like the National Post with Rex Murphy. They get people in that are already fully corrupt, like Rex Murphy is entirely corrupt. And those and they say. Do your thing, right? Like, no, so you don't have no, to corrupt these guys. They're already corrupt. Conrad Black writes for the, the National Post. You don't, have to, you don't have to corrupt them. That's been taken care of decades ago, right? So, and, and like on and said, on it goes. You know, Every paper's been bought out. There is no alternate view. There's no view right. left. The on Star the somehow at this point still provides a little bit of alternate view, but they're owned by Post Media. So I, I wonder how long it'll be before that gets kind of swallowed up. Darren, I watch, look what happened in baseball. Fernando Tatis, look at the deal he signed, right? 22 years old, 14 years. What's the article that comes out in The Athletic by Ken Rosenthal? Bad for baseball. Are you kidding me? 
Who do you think wants that agenda put out in the public? That a baseball player, 22 years old, pre-ARB, is making a crazy amount of money. Who wants that put into the public thought consciousness? And it's easy to do because the guy making 15 bucks an hour, is, is it's, it's an agenda. And somebody will sell out who's one of the most prominent baseball reporters out there. So he's believable. And it's an agenda being put out by owners to discredit players. And it's like, oh, it makes me upset. But people will believe it. The mainstream guy's going to read that. Go, I know, that's insane. $340 million. Nobody needs that kind of money. I had that (laughs) that very debate last night. And I know he listens to our podcast sometimes. so, So I'm sorry you're not here to engage in this, Tim. But he was talking about, because I, I, I was saying, you know, it's amazing. San Diego did that. And it, it's amazing I like how they signed this guy despite calling him up early. They didn't worry about yeah. th- that date, they right? They held him back. And they were willing, they're willing to pay him. And they signed him, as they almost always do. Mike Trout, et cetera. But fans will accept it when the Jays do things like pick money out of the pocket of Vladdy Guerrero and just yeah. delay him for the sake of delaying him. And I, and he's like, well, that's the deal between the owners and the players. I'm like, as you, you as a fan, first off, I don't understand why you're more sympathetic to a corporation than somebody more like yourself that is, that is a player. That money is there. It's just a, and it's better for the game, better for the player, better for the team. If he's called up when he's good to go. Right. Yeah. So there's on no level. Is it a negative other than the money will go to the player instead of the corporation? So you're That's telling right. me your argument is you'd prefer to see this money go to the corporation than an average person, really a person closer to being an average person. Why, where did we come up enough. with this mindset? Right. And, but you look at, we're talking about Rush Limbaugh and we're talking about information sources. As you say, people have been conditioned for self-loathing, self-loathing. Why and, do we look? It's in Texas. Look at what's going on in Texas. Ted Cruz just went on a damn vacation. Yes, he did. He went on a vacation because you can brazenly do anything you want if you're a Republican because people will vote for you simply by virtue of being a Republican. There's right. And those guys have overseen a massive transfer of wealth away from infrastructure, away from the middle class, away from the lower class. So when stuff goes sideways like this ice storm and all everything going on in Texas right now, people don't have any reserves to do anything about it. So coming out and saying, you guys got to take care of yourselves. Like that Colorado Springs mayor says, I want him to be, I, I said to, to a friend of mine, I talked to, I said to Tim today, we were talking about it. I was like, I want him to be down here with me right now. And I'll just hit him with my guitar over and over and over. Cause that's all I really have in terms of <laughs> to hit somebody with him. In my, in my weapon, back. Six little ways away from me, yeah, yeah. but, and just say, take care of yourself, fend for yourself. Think outside the box. Like you're telling people think outside your box. Whack, whack. What are you talking about? We're talking about it energy network like they they're supposed to create their own cobble one together and then they have the audacity to to come on tv and talk that it's the green new green deal that's the problem unbelievable and they got the one idiot they doubled down they doubled down on top of it oh it's unbelievable how about you just remain silent at least well they've been in control for 40 years you've been in power for 40 years in texas and you're saying the green new deal which hasn't been enacted is the problem like unbelievable, unbelievable. And I mean, we're in Canada. We got solar energy right. in the winter. When they talk about batteries aren't sustainable in the cold. Uh, they say they, they, the one woman that says we use them in space. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. Fine. We use yeah, them in the yeah, coldest yeah. temperatures. <laughs> okay. Anyways. I think we should. 
I think we should take a we'll relax on that for a second. Yeah, that's right. I'm getting wound it, up. You had, you, had wound to, up. you had some good points there, but it is for it, it, again. It, we just we mocking mock ourselves that how we talk about not being bothered about it. How quickly we go down. Two seconds later, I'm, I'm like yelling and yeah. threatening people with my guitar, which is always scares people. I'll hit you right. with my acoustic right. guitar. We made our point. We made our point. And if I get really mad, I'll hit you with my electric guitar. Right. Uh, so we have questions from Justin. And, and the first one was actually a question I was going to ask anyway. What extra steps did you have to go through when setting up media availability for non-English speaking players? And two, and I, this is the part I was going to ask about, whose decision was it to have Mark DeRosa always accompany uh, Munenori Kawasaki? I, and I was looking at DeRosa's career. That's how it kind of came to me. And it, he was for the three years before he was in Toronto, and that was his last season at age 38. He was, there were weak, weak, weak years. And he was obvious, but he had, it looked like he had a really fun and fairly productive last season in Toronto and, and seemed mm -hmm. to enjoy that interactions with Kawasaki. Well, he, he loved the last season in Toronto. He wanted to come back. But what I remember most about DeRosa is his job wasn't to take care of Kawasaki. Kawasaki took care of himself. There was just no worries whatsoever. I think he just found it amusing more than anything. His right. job literally was to look after Laurie and bring him along. So that was kind of, they, they would put their lockers together. That was by design. So he could be a mentor to Laurie as he went along this journey of becoming an elite player and an everyday player. So DeRosa was there because they still felt he could be somewhat productive in a platoon role, things along those lines, but really mentor Brett Laurie, Kawasaki. I think he just kind of, I think I think he just like how do I spend less time with Brett Laurie because I can't do that <laughs> right right and more time with that crazy bastard over here who's just a joy to be with so I think he just kind of loved being there and yeah all I remember is how much DeRosa wanted to return to he just loved the clubhouse there it was a good clubhouse and by the end of it I think he was just like yeah I can't do much for this kid this this is this is this is too much for me Laurie so that was the design was was to give Lori as much mentorship, veteran experience, somebody who's been through the wars, how to handle things as much as possible. That That's what DeRosa, on top of still being somewhat productive, you know what I mean? That was yeah. the goal there. That was the goal. So I saw DeRosa do an interview with MLB TV, and they asked him about Lowry. It was when he was, I think it was been about a year with his, the, the foot problems that he was having. Right. And, and he actually legitimately seemed First off, torn in how much you should say or not say about his experiences mentoring him. And he got to know the family legitimately, well, like he legitimately gave it an effort. And he felt, I think he almost felt, you can see he felt sad for, for what was taking place, but sort of was like, this doesn't surprise me at all. Right. Based on doing that without really saying that, you know? Yeah, read between so. the lines. Question what was his other question, J.D.? What did he do? What? Step, extra steps did you have to go through media availability for non-English speakers? Extra steps. Well, a lot of times they they were fortunate enough to just get a pass. My favorite is Eddie. Eddie Eddie just made a living out of pretending he couldn't speak English. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just isn't you know. Hey, I, 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 I would say I totally am. It's hey, whether you speak it really well when it's a second language, there is still some apprehension of not coming across as well as you'd like to. Absolutely. I can imagine. So I do respect that, but 
in moments when it's necessary to talk, I, I, he, he was fully functional. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of me going over to Eddie, telling him, look, Eddie, this is how it's going to be. This is what I'll do for you. We need you at this moment. And you had to develop. It was more about developing relationships beyond when you needed them. So you had to work with him every day to go, this is, hey, Eddie, at some point, you go, okay, okay. And you just kind of build up a relationship as a human being. So when he did hit a three-run homer in the bottom of the ninth, he knew that, yeah, I can't kind of just push Mal aside. And we've been talking about this for a month. And I needed him to jump on camera and give it an old college try. So that's how you did it. And then eventually, the Latin players banded together and had had enough of watching Japanese players get translators paid by the team come over. And the Latin player had just been kind of left for dead forever as they've been a part of baseball long before the Japanese players came over, never considered having translators, Spanish speaking translators. And it wasn't until I'm going to say what 2012 that they kind of mandated that there'd be a Spanish translator. And it's just like, how absurd was that all these years? So that really helped in having, but, but, and then guys would have a Spanish train, Asuna. Who, who could not speak English any better, refused to speak English because they had a translator now just to be that guy. You know yeah. I mean? So he would just be that guy, even though his English was absolutely, he's been speaking it since he was eight. You know what I mean? And uh, that would frustrate you, but you, you just, yeah, there was extra work that went, went involved to make sure you, so when you're post-game interview, you go, okay, now I need the player who's hard enough to, to rustle up and the translator, <laughs> you need to get two guys. But it's just funny how the game has changed and how many we just disrespected anybody who wasn't white speaking English for many, many, many moons and generations. Yep, and it was a tough thing, and it's it's unfortunate that it was that way, and that's gotten better. You know what I mean? Yep, it's gotten better. So, and that's the players' association. It's like the one thing you did say, which kind of bothers me. When somebody say, well, hey, man, that's the deal the Players Association agreed to. So I'm sorry, man. Like that's Vladdy loses all that money because that's they. Hey, they agreed. Well, when you're coming from nothing, you don't get to fare overnight. It doesn't make it right. So bit by bit, you don't see the Players Association putting things in the media as an agenda because the only thing that can happen, the only thing that can happen, people have to realize is Every time there's a negotiation, the owners will lose some of their wealth to the players because the owners were starting at 100%. And and as players gain rights, they're going to chip away at what should be rightfully theirs. So the owners can only lose as time goes on what they have, not what they deserve, what they have. So the players, while they did agree to that, they can only go so far. We're not, this isn't... Baseball, let's start a league tomorrow and let's start from middle ground. The owners had everything. The players had no rights in any sport. So for them to get progress, you can only do it bit by bit because you trade X for Y, you know, and A for B. And maybe one day you just get closer to the middle. So saying that, well, they agreed to it. So sorry that they don't have proper rights and they're being, they're, they're, earning levels are suppressed well you know that's just it's well, it's and, la- that is a lazy point of view is what that is and you know and it's it's something i when i manage i would say there's there's a difference between what you can do and what you should do 
And, you know, and in the, in the, the grand scheme of things, if you focus more on what you should do, what is, you know, kind of altruistically right, it'll work out better for you. It, and it's it, so short-sighted, like the people usually advocating, well, we can do this are, are usually the people that haven't worked harder to do something better than that. Right. And, and, and if you look at the owners putting out all this propaganda or, or what have you, that they want this narrative through their sources of the athletic or whatever it is, all the mainstream baseball reporters who are all compromised, every one of them, because that's their bread and butter. Yeah. They know that they're going to eventually have their wealth eroded to some level. So all they're trying to do is delay it a little bit. So they just want, let's just keep throwing the stuff out there because if we have to give up less than what we can, let's do it. So let's push the narrative that these greedy players have too much money. They, they know they're full of shit, but it's like, well, if we can delay given even a little bit, it's more money for us for a little longer. That's all it is. So anyways, your question. So the, the question is for me is, does Caroline still have the infamous, have you seen my donkey cutting board? <laughs> so that that's going to require some context. We had Justin on our last one. We talked about the the great accomplishment of my management career, which was Justin uh, Eldramundo versus the robot <laughs> in a series of competitions, including yes. rap battles and uh, karaoke. Culminating duets. in an actual wrestling match. Right. Well, there was no actual wrestling match. <laughs> but So at any rate, the bet was if Justin won, I would wear a shirt with his picture of him on it. So what I did was I had a picture of Justin in a sombrero and I had to make this obviously. And on the back it said, because I had written this thing a long time ago about Justin taking care of donkeys that had been trained to run bingo events. (laughs) And it was somehow this got on the main information network at our site. Another thing, like how did I ever become a manager? So it said on the back, it said, have you seen my donkey? So, but the problem was in order for me to make it, I had to go to, I think, Staples and get these kind of, you know, those things that you can press on a t-shirt with an iron, right? Right. right. So iron-ons. So the iron-on. So the problem was, and I had to wear it the next day. So I got the stuff the day before and I had came up with the brilliant idea as using for putting the shirt on a cutting board while I ironed it. It was a wooden cutting board. Now, is one of the dumbest things I'd ever done because you start blasting steam and stuff like that into a cutting board. What comes out? Garlic and onions and all you know, all the stuff that's deep within that cutting board. So oh, the pores of the board, yes. And the other problem was, have you seen my donkey actually ended up being imprinted on the cutting board? Caroline's cutting board now had in big black letters, have you seen my donkey? Question mark. So she was not enjoying that at all she How was can very she unhappy <laughs> so she was furious with that i still have a picture of that someplace and i had to wash that shirt like 700 times and next day i wore a sombrero and and walked around with a you t-shirt of dustin drums but no it's it it i think we just chucked that that cutting board at a certain time to answer your well that is the thing about the cutting board there are many to be had yeah yeah yeah. yeah. We not... could, we could move on still st- like a, on. one of the dumber ideas in my life Number th- question number three is a question for me again. Zach from Parts Unknown. So that would be Zach Van Ed, who again should change his last name to Von Ed just to be more threatening. Ask if Darren's ever had anyone walk through him. And, and then in parentheses, he will get it, he says. Okay. 
I, I don't really get that at all, as a matter of fact. So I just <laughs> I, I think it could have been Zach used to always get off the phones and like sell raffle tickets or, or things like that. That was kind of his scheme. Zach like shrooms by any chance. <laughs> but I think it, this, I think he might have threatened this? to walk through me or something. Yeah. I, I don't know. So yeah, yeah. we'll just but we got two more questions. I am a PR man. This is from just now to you. I am a PR man for a local band that has had limited success due to the fact they hired me as a PR guy. So Mal, what advice do you have to help me get Melody Motel to the next level? Well, any level. That's his, his full question for. Well, for starters, uh, taking any responsibility for that effort is just the first mistake you're making. Don't, 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 don't. Don't take that as, you know, anything you're doing wrong, Justin. And I think any success is based on that thought. You know what I mean? There is nothing you can do other than just enjoy what they do and, and, you know, let let it live as it lives. So I'm going to guess it's not a highly paying gig at this point. He's part-time PR man. Yeah, well, part-time. For, for those people, that's what I always call it. And for those, the uninitiated Melody, yeah. Melody Motel, maybe we'll throw a Melody Motel song at the end of this because it's, right. it's our music. Well, I think we should. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's, it's my band with Jason Newton and Bobby Cross was part of it for a, for a long time as well. And uh, yeah, we, we haven't had a lot of success, but you know, never playing any place ever. We'll do that. But you can find us. You can find Melody Motel on Spotify or iTunes, all your streaming services, that Mixcloud, if you'd like. But yeah, it's not, it's not your fault, Justin. Piece of, it's not yeah, your fault. one piece of recommendation is if you're going to promote the band and you have one question to a PR guy, uh, go to a better podcast. <laughs> yeah, more popular <laughs> more podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just can that's sell my one piece. Right? Save, the, save, save your question, your, your, one, your one nut there for, you know, more widely listened to podcasts. That would be my my suggestion. Start question next. five. Yeah. Hot take. It's a hot take for Justin Drummond. Are you ready? <laughs> hot take. We should have like a sound, like a sizzle. Maybe yeah, I'll pop yeah. it in here. Yes. Yeah. Pop it in. Yeah. Justin Drummond hot take. Both the Blue Jays and the Leafs will win a championship in 2021. Booster juice. End of story. That's a JD's little catchphrase you got from Jose Jose, Jose Batista. Batista. Yeah. yeah. Booster, Booster juice. juice. That's just a hot take. Yeah, well, that's End definitely a hot take because that's just from a mathematical perspective improbable. But I guess never more probable than this year. Yep. These are the best chances they've had, and at least got a free time. ride to the final four, final four teams. Free well, ride. I, I wouldn't say free ride. Anytime you got to win well, four about to seven, as free as you're going to get. The best ever. Year, that's right. This is the year for the Leafs. They've never had a clearer path to the final four, and once you get there, hey man, all bets are off. Exactly. So, and they their high end talent could take over. There's and the no Jays question. are similar, and you the Jays the have never had like, a freer ride to the playoffs. Yep. So this is the chance. I would say still, I mean, well, obviously it's, it's not probable, but uh, this is their best chance. So, And if they do, booster juice. <laughs> End of story. End of story. Yeah. End of story. Nice, nice, nice. 
Can, can, I, can I just say, because this is more, just a quick an aside before you get into your stories here. I made my grandmother's spaghetti sauce. I still have the recipe. And it is one of the most glorious Italian things ever. Every time I do it, I make a huge pot and freeze it up. I hadn't done it in a while. And my, uh, my neighbor, we're kind of doing a little dinner thing here every now and then. So I said, I'll make that. And let me tell you something. It just frustrates me. The quality of the modern tomato has disintegrated so poorly. It is so frustrating. It, and apparently, call, actually. apparently, this is a real thing. There's a, my, my uh, son's girlfriend has a good friend who's a food scientist, and they're studying this, why the tomato's been impacted more by the crappy soil and things than anything else. I cannot get, it's still good, it still comes out tasty, but you cannot get a thick tomato sauce anymore unless you throw in some additive like a cornstarch or flour, which is just sacrilegious, you know what I mean? Yeah. So no matter what you do, you have this runny, watery base a little bit, at the, and it's so unappealing as a, a as presentation wise. Still phenomenally tastes good, but I and I've asked a lot of people, and it's the same problem. And I'm so upset at that. And it's just my little the damn well, tomato, the damn I may tomato. Have, I may have a little bit of a fix for you because I, I I'm gonna be honest with you, I was never a big tomato guy. But I didn't really notice it until I got some tomatoes from our boy Bobby Cross. Bobby, you know, sometimes it's Bobby hey, from Thor. And these are grown in his garden. And I, he gave me some. And honestly, I didn't think of it as a big deal. I thought, well, I thought it was a really nice gesture on his part. And I said, right. oh, it's nice. We got some tomatoes. I can use these instead of the ones from the supermarket. Right. I ended up eating a lot of those just straight myself. Right. Just because they were so delicious. And there was right. so much depth of flavor. It was it was unbelievable. I'm gonna guess Bobby wasn't using pesticides and and right. You know what I mean. Well, he right. puts he puts a lot of work into his garden, and right. they're sensational. So maybe we could talk to Bobby and try to course some 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 tomatoes out of him because they're unbelievable. And then when you go back to the plasticky ones, which is to me, you're just like, oh man, I almost wish I didn't know. And wait, I've helped. tried everything. I have tried everything, and it really bothers me. And well, yeah. what's what's just for those. People like myself who like making spaghetti sauce, any like tips, any secrets from your grandmother's recipe that you want to share? Well, it's not so much about it's it's more about what goes into it. And and the meatball is clearly this just in. It's more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, no, it's I mean, the base is tomatoes or tomato juice. It used to be tomato juice until that is horribly watery now. But so, so it all starts there, and that's just the base of anything. But you, I mean, you throw in the celery and the parsley and the onion and and you know the the cheese and that oregano and all that goes in there. But the key starts and ends with the meatball. Okay, if you if you do the meatballs right, and you can't get them anywhere, that's where it starts and ends, and it has to be the veal pork beef blend mm -hmm. and the celery and the parsley that goes into it and the Romano cheese. Not your fake cheese, your Romano cheese. Sharp flavors. You don't pre-cook them. They go in with this Italian sausage and veal, veal, 
like pieces of veal, like stewing veal, and it just cooks all day long. And it's the length of time the cooking that just tenderizes everything and the flavors all soak in together. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That, that's what makes it. But the meatball just is to die for. And it just, it, it, you can't pre-cook it, you ruin the flavor and you can't rush it. It's gotta be at least six hours. And that's what makes a beautiful sauce. Just does. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and don't don't mess with it. Don't throw in too many things. Don't mess with it. It's like, a, it's like an Italian uh, salad. A lettuce, tomato, cucumber, oil, vinegar, salt, pepper. Don't 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 trick it up, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't trick it up. That's those flavors are all you need. Everybody tries to trick it up. Yeah. There you have it. So, anyways. So you, a work story. You got you got a work story. <sighs> Well, here, well, here's the funny thing, and I probably shouldn't be the guy doing a podcast because I always viewed myself as a horrible storyteller. I'm a story listener. I'm a great audience. You know okay. what I mean? I'm the guy who, but of course, like I wish I would have written a lot of these things down. So there's so many things obviously that happen, and most of them I can't remember, and most of them I don't really retell that well. But I guess uh, I tried to find one that just kind of made fun of myself. I can remember not long after I started. You know, I'm the kind of the new new guy on the block. I guess I don't know, first second year, and we had a, a flight out west to Seattle. Flight out west, five hours long, right? Five plus. You're going out there, so everybody. The plane is just the most enjoyable place on earth. It's just you treat it so well. It's a tight little group, and it's just time to have fun, and it's five stars across the board. So anyone who knows me, quite social, social, and I like to have fun, and you know. It could get a couple pops flowing and it's just kind of, you know, that's what we do. Right. So every time you got on the plane, it's just time to enjoy yourself and you're with the boys. So I guess five hours was a little more than I planned for on this trip. So as, as the flight went on a few, few too many pops on, on the plane. And uh, you know, I started to decide that the guys need to hear my opinion on sports <laughs> right. while we're, you know, the, 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 the new PR guy is going to tell us. So, so somehow, I decided that the greatest athlete of all time was Gilbert Perrault. Of course. Yeah, of course. The old argument, the old Gilbert Perrault. The famous the old, Right. So, Everybody's, you know. It's kind of unoriginal, but. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, that one's been beaten to death so many times. The debate, you know. Just on the sidebirds you know, alone. Yeah, Michael you Jordan. You have great sidebirds. You know. Yep. <laughs> Tom Brady, Gilbert Perrault. Gilbert there's always Perot. some guy. There's always some guy y'all know. <laughs> Jill Don't Barrow forget to go number yeah. 11. Yep. So, you know, everybody kind of egged me on at that point. So, you know, I remember getting up in the middle of the plane and decided that I was going to show them how Gilbert Perot played. So I stood up and I bent. You're going to mime this? You're going to mime this. I, I had to. But so for anybody listening, I stood Jesus. up and I bent over in the aisle of the plane and my hand was like this. That was the jersey. I, and I did the of his, his jersey. jersey. Flowing and flapping in the wind. How fast he skated. So I would do that up and down the aisle. So you're telling this to a, a plane full of baseball players Executives, from, coaches, you know, baseball from players. Dominican Republic, from all all over the, the world. Never heard of Gilbert Perot, which is Oddly the enough. very reason I needed to keep going further right, right. with this with this display. You need to go to San Pedro. <laughs> go to San Pedro de Marguerite with a big picture of his with his jersey flapping or just me bent over it. me bent over yeah, yeah. With my hand even better even better <laughs> get it. Yeah. that guy could play 
like the, the beauty Dad, of what's a gringo oh let me go show you we got a picture downtown of exactly <laughs> yeah, what a gringo you. is so so as you can imagine i didn't live that down for a very long time so the best part to the story uh well not the best part as as i was se- severely mocked as the, that's kind of the role i generally play in life mm-hmm. you know i'll do something so absurd that you get to laugh at me and i kind of i'm kind of in on the joke a little bit sometimes so right I kind of, uh, that's well-deserved. So I can remember the next day getting up after a night of, you know, having that for five hours and then continuing when you get to a city that's three hours behind. So it wasn't my best moment. Getting up going, holy shit, I almost missed breakfast with the executives from the team. We were going to go down, have a quick breakfast at 10 in the morning, blah, blah, blah. So I go down, I race, shower, put my clothes on. And I go to breakfast and of course they're laughing about this adventure of mine. And one of the executives for the team just looks at me and we're having breakfast and he goes, you're something. Uh, he goes, by the way, nice shirt. He goes, new shirt, eh? I go, yeah. Like he goes, thanks. Thanks for noticing. He goes, large, eh? I go, well, what do you mean? So I said, I still got the, the large sticker that goes all the way down the line. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> like, a, they're like, they're like, we got it off. Like, right to the head. I wore a new t shirt and it had the sticker L, 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 all the way down. And I, this is the start of a beautiful road trip. I thought it might have been my last, but wow. they thought it was great. So, so, anyways, I was, I thought I'd throw something in a course that made me look like a moron because that's kind of sometimes I'll tell you. how I rolled, but. I'll tell you one that relates to a shirt before I tell this other story because it's not work related. But I went out with a girl when I was like 19 named Nancy Napolitano, really wonderful human being, one of the sweetest people you'd ever, ever want to meet. We were supposed to go to this little comedy club in the Pendale across from the pen. I can't remember the name wow. of it. It was like an Asian name or something. Anyway, we're going to go for this comedy routine. So I'm 19 and we're going to be meeting all these people that she knew they're a little bit older and everything. So we're looking for a shirt for me. So she picks out a shirt. We're in Robinson's. If you remember Robinson's. I do remember. Because that's where all the great fashion really was. Yeah. At, at Robinson's department store. Right. So she picks out the shirt. Bargain and say, Herald's just wouldn't cut it for this. Right, right, right. We were going uptown. We're going uptown for this. And I say, that looks like pajamas. I don't like that shirt. And she's like, no, you, this is a perfect shirt get the shirt it was like white it had it's the 80s too right so like trying to buy any clothes you're in a lot of trouble i'm like okay whatever we'll get the shirt go to the comedy club and there was some sort of contest you had to put your name on a thing whatever to read off the names who won at the end of the show so end of the show comes they're reading off these names uh, and i was a little intimidated around all these people older than me and you know just felt wiser and more worldly and wouldn't you know, and I wasn't even going to put my name in. Nancy made me put my name in. Uh, she actually wrote my name down on sure, of course. ballot, whatever. So they're reading out the names, and sure enough, I win. And who's got the microphone? It's a, it's a comedian. Yeah. So I have to go up to the stage to get whatever I won, which I'm sure was useless. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's like, oh, Darren Clark, was it a thank shirt? you for wearing your pajamas tonight. <laughs> Damn. Like, and it just felt like that's that was an awful moment when you're 19 and you're just not ready for oh, any kind of ridicule. It just slays you. And you're when you already, your you already said they look like pajamas. Yes. How did she feel? Oh, she thought it was really funny. Yeah. Cause, 
Because it kind of was. Because it kind of was. Yeah, yeah. Did I ever tell you the first date I went on Nancy with Nancy Napolitano? Since I'm on this topic, maybe it'll just 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 be my stories. The first date I went on with her, and I was she was really, like I said, a really beautiful, really wonderful person. So I was pretty nervous, but it was a massive snowstorm. I was sick as a dog, but I was determined not to miss it. So I'm popping pills all over the place. We go down Niagara Falls. It was it was like snow like we had the last couple of days here. It was, like, it was like a blizzard. And so we're the only people down in Niagara Falls. I get stuck in the snow. I have to go <laughs> out and push. She doesn't know how to drive a car. So I'm like, pop in reverse. And she's like, what's reverse? Like, ER. That's where we were. And I'm yelling and falling in the snow. But it wasn't a bad date, but I had a I had a beer or two, and just that combined with the medicine, I started getting wobbly. <laughs> so I'm taking her home to Western Hill. And I remember this. <laughs> Paul Young comes on the radio every time you go away. You know that song? Absolutely. Every time yeah. you go. So that song comes on and she loves that song. <laughs> I can still see her in the dashboard light saying to me, okay, well, let's drive around and listen to the song. So drive around and now I'm on like, I don't know, 4th Street, Louth or one of those Louth streets. There's like a zillion of them out there. You know what I'm talking about, right? right? right. And they're all mm-hmm. just black for those who are not aware of Western Hill, especially at that time. They're all just like farmland and pitch black. So yeah. I'm out there and I start. And snowstorm. Paul Young's warbling in the background and I start to lose consciousness a little bit. I come back too and I'm over on the, the outside of the road. So I try to correct really quickly but i hit the lip of the road and that fires me right into the ditch full of snow <laughs> in my ford ltd uh, my parents for ltd oh the thing. things we do for women so the now things we do we gotta walk back to and she lived close to uh it was a donut diner i believe it was called in western hill on the corner well, of that doesn't say much Lothin. everybody lived close to a donut diner back then st paul west yeah she well she was just block away so we had to walk there and we're freezing. We're dressed for a date. So so I go in there and there's what, what a way to tweet, treat a woman, eh? All her friends, her brothers, older brothers are in there. So I'm introduced to all of them on our first date as the guy who just put his car in a ditch on Forest Street Louth. That's my introduction. Who, who appears to be hammered. And Tony, her older brother. And I, I, this was another thing that kind of hurt me when I found it out, but it's kind of funny in retrospect, called me a space cadet from that point on and never directly to me, more in a ridiculing fashion of the sister was going out with the space cadet. Or to say nice pajamas. <laughs> I don't know what I was wearing then. I'd hate to imagine. Again, still the 80s. So uh, they get me a tow truck. The tow truck driver comes along and we're driving. And I don't know what street I was on. I'm not from Western Hill. You know, I grew up in Thorold. We didn't go to Western. What are we going to Western Hill for? No, so, I no. don't know. And every Louth Street, 7th, 8th, 4th, 2nd, looks exactly the same. <laughs> oh, he was pissed at me. Oh, my God. He was mad. And fair. More than fair to be pissed at me. Yeah, this is pre-GPS days. So that was... that was. So you had to direct time. him back home, was basically... Well, eventually we did find the right Lau Street, got my car out, and I went home. But I, and we ended up going out for a couple of years, actually. So it wasn't – somehow it went okay. But that wasn't – do, do I got, we got time? Yeah, for of course, to we tell got time. Yeah, yeah. So the story is the Killer Salmon story from Sears Gaspar. 
Okay. So I worked at a, a gas station. This would be a little bit after that. So I think I'd be 20 or 21. One of Darren's crazy jobs. And, yeah. and you know what? I love that job though. I didn't like anything that involved interacting with customers, but I mean, my, my buddies, Mark Lane, Jason Curvin, I worked with those guys. I love them. We got along famously there. They had the ghetto bastard playing like the replacements and the violent femmes and the cure. And Well, why would there pistols. be multiple people working at the gas bar? Wouldn't it be just one guy in the booth? Well, it was full serve, right? Okay. Full okay. serve, no roof. It was a little bit, that could be a little bit painful, roof. but there'd often be two of us because it's really busy. We're right by the, right by the pen, right in front of the so pen. There's two of you. There's a lot of traffic here. Okay. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you would be by yourself, yeah, like yeah. Sundays you would be or what have you, but mostly it'd be the two of us and we'd be like listening to music with the door open. I remember somebody saying to us, we were listening to the Violent Femmes, uh, that first mm -hmm. really great Violent Femmes album and somebody looking at us and saying, is that your band? Which <laughs> is kind of with, how the Violent Femmes yeah, sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the story involves my buddy, Mark Lane is a good friend of mine. His girlfriend's brother started working with us. His name was Bill Oliver. He was from Thorold South and Thorold South, which I live in now. Right. There's always something a little peculiar about people from Thorold South. And I don't necessarily mean it in a bad way, but you know what I mean? There's a quirkiness well, it's sort of that happens to any oh. kind of small area that's been abandoned and left to its own device. Well, for anybody you know? who's been to Thorold or grew up there to think that Thorold people thought even those crazy people we had to differentiate from. We had to put them in the south of Thorold. Right. Like, if you're not good enough from Thorold, that's some crazy ass shit. So, yeah. right. That, that it, sums up Thorold South. Bill was actually a really sweet guy. So he's like 16. It's his first job, really, as, as far as I knew. Uh, and he was the sort of guy who loved to do things like blow up iced tea cans <laughs> and go buy a loaf of Wonder Thorold Bread south. and grape jelly. And th that was his lunch. Yes. What, grape jelly on Wonder right. Bread. Yeah, eight um, sandwiches later. <laughs> he actually became a stuntman and did, and worked. And he's worked on any number of different Canadian movies and TV shows. And I, I don't know if he goes by Bill Oliver. It might be some derivative sure. of that. But the first time I saw him, and I've seen him multiple times su subsequent to this, was on Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, which I used to watch. Right. I, I don't know why I had a soft spot for a Kwai Chang Kane, David Carradine, to so the episode he was in, he's part of a crew of bank robbers. And they unfortunately had the bad luck of robbing the bank where Kwai Chang Kane actually not only has an account, but is in the process of, of making a withdrawal, waiting in line to make a withdrawal. That day. So it's hard to believe. Yeah. Bill had one line, which was, let's get out of here. Right before he got slow motion kung fu by David Carradine. Right. I remember seeing him at Battle of Beaverdams Park, actually, and saying that was that was a fantastic line. He's like, the sad thing is they dubbed it in so he didn't have to pay me as much for a speaking part. No way. So they just overdubbed, you know. That's uh, so awesome. Uh, but you know what I remembered? I was thinking about this last night. I was like, David Carradine, do you remember when he was arrested for vandalizing the Sky Dome for kicking in a door? No. He was. And it was one of my favorite articles because it had a quote from a witness because it said he just kicked in the door and stood there like an idiot. That was the exact quote. Because I could so guilty. easily picture David Carradine standing there like an idiot after destroying a door. But yeah, that's a, a, a true story. But back to, to Bill at the gas station. So it's a Sunday and on the Sunday I am working by myself. 
And Bill comes flying in as he was prone to do. He's not working that day or anything, but he comes in. He's just got shorts on. That's it. It's summertime. No he's got a little blue pickup truck. And I'm serving like two or three cars and running around. And he's like, you got to come over to my truck. Come on over. And I'm like, finally, get over there. He's leaning over the back of his truck, beaming down. And I look down and I see a dead prone salmon. And I say, uh, what did you want to show me? And he's like, hey, that's like that's like a 10 to 15 pound salmon. So I, just, I shrug it out because I'm not a fishing guy. No, right? me neither. Never been. Well, Bill guy. taking it to me like a dog bringing you something, you know, like a tennis ball to like look. It, it kind of sounds like a, bird, a dog like a cat bringing you a bird, yeah, right? Yeah. And I, I don't mean to, to talk down about Bill yeah, as no, a wonderful right. person, but that, that's kind of where he was at that point. So I, and I'm just like, I, great. That's that's great. Walk away to go back and serve some cars. It's gonna fish on his truck. Bill's just roaming around, rummaging around for a bit. And he yells over me finally, what do you want me to do with this fish? What should I do with the fish? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I don't care. And there's behind the, the little kiosk was an island of grass and, and bushes and small trees. And I said, I don't know, just chuck it in the bushes over there. Yeah. Right. So Bill, who's very disappointed by my <laughs> underwhelming reaction to is, is bringing me a fish to look at. Um, he chucks it over there. So that's it. That's, that's it for that day. Next day rolls around. I'm working the next morning with my buddy, Jay Curvin. It's a nice morning, quiet, spring morning, sunny, a little bit cool, but still we're standing out front having a cigarette in front of the kiosk. It's like nine o'clock in the morning. And we see this guy come stumbling across the parking lot. Like, and he's a professional stumbler. He's stumbled many times in life. He's got a pastel jacket on. He's got black and white checkered pants that didn't go as far as his ankles. His ankles, you, you can see he's got tube socks on and some really tired old dress shoes. And he's got a beard that looked like it was devouring his face. It was like one of those wiry black and gray beards, right? And this guy's in rough shape for nine o'clock, clearly inebriated. He comes over to us, asks Jay, slurs it out, where does the bus stop? And uh, right. we're just... So point over to the shopper's drug mart at the time. There was the front of the mall and there was some benches there. I'm like, yeah, 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 they're there. So he walks across the uh, the little intersection behind the gas bar uh, across the road. And clearly, because we're watching him, because we're entertained. We're, you know, early 20s. Sure. So we're entertained by, yeah, by look at this guy. a lot. And he clearly pisses himself as he's walking across the roadway. Like it's, you can it's, see it. it's an ugly scene. So about 10 minutes later, he's back. Where does the bus stop? (laughs) And, you know, you can imagine now we're starting to struggle, keeping up any kind of facade of of seriousness. We point him back to the same spot. Away he goes. About 10 minutes later, Jay and I are standing in front of the kiosk, and we look back through the windows, and we see him, his head and shoulders, walking through that island of grass and bushes and trees. He's bobbing along, bobbing along, bobbing along. Boom. Drops. I turn to Jay, and I say, killer salmon. (laughs) we waited a few minutes walk over and there he is curled up to the salmon bill's salmon from the day before dead asleep sun shining breeze twinkling through the leaves and bushes decaying salmon a day old decaying salmon and he's looking like this this beautific little child just found a friend wrapped up around this the salmon so that's that was the killer salmon story killer salmon got him the salmon dropped a Huh. Wow, that is great. Where's the bus stop? 
Where's, where's the bus stop? Oh, uh, that's poor son of a gun. Yeah, see, you ended it on the same note. You made a you made a joke about the less deprived, just like the comedians. You were ripping. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Is that how you want to take that? Is that how you want to turn it? That's that's not nice of you, Darren. You know, the guy needed help. <laughs> I'll tell you one of the best lines I've heard. I got one quick other story. I was at uh, when I worked at the, the bingo factory. Sometimes I'd have to stack paper. The and... bingo factory. Yeah. I think we need an episode of Darren Clark's, the Clark's job. Well, the bingo factory, I could tell a billion stories about. But this one was one day where I was stacking paper. You have stacking glue paper. And the people that would break them up into booklets or whatever were all either from the Philippines or from Poland. And and they were an interesting lot of ladies who I had a lot of fun with. And I would joke around with a lot. I would make up songs for all of them. Mm -hmm. The only one I can remember is Erica, because she was kind of in charge and was like, Erica, she walks and walks and walks. She talks and talks and talks. She never does any work. (laughs) Work is all she shirks. And I I would say to her, like, the song ends with the word shirks, Erica. It has to be a great song. As soon as you can get shirks into a song, you've made a great song. Anyway, just be stupid stuff like that during the day. One of the Filipino ladies was named Shirley, and she was a little bit. Which is, I'll stop you right there, not her real name. Probably. Shirley. I don't know. Shirley is not a Filipino name. Okay. Well, that's what she was. Or Erica. Erica is a Polish name. You think so? Probably not the full iteration, as they say. Okay. But Shirley is not the name. Maybe. So Shirley was a little bit unstable, but for some reasons that I can only attribute to being an insensitive human being at sometimes I would joke around with her. Sometimes she would joke back. So on this mm-hmm. particular day, even though she was really religious and I shouldn't have been doing this, I was taking a rolled up piece of plastic that we used. You don't need to really know why, but we had them kicking around and I was hiding and giving her messages from God. So, and it was like st- stupid stuff like the WKRP episode. Oh yeah. Shirley, this is God. Become a golf pro. So it'd be just stupid. And I would just say all these goofy things. I'm a golf pro. Just riff on it. And she became frustrated and frustrated. And to me, that made me things seem more funny. And the ladies were laughing. And the Polish ladies were getting a kiss. That's all you need is a little encouragement. But eventually she got furious with me. And I had to, I was doing some work later and she came over and she started screaming at me. And then at the end of it, she said, you made me lose my baby. And she had lost a baby. So Ooh. it was a moment of, wow. Like, like I didn't know what to say. It was, and I'm stood there and I'm frozen, not knowing what to say, because that's a big thing. And then Yolanta, one of the, the Polish ladies, comes over after like this just no, no, that's a Polish big man. quiet that gone on for a while. And she says, and now you have to put it back. <laughs> which, which was a, a pretty good line. <laughs> that's pretty yeah, good. Yeah. Wow, the cruel well, thing that's, you that's do. Factory. You made me lose well, my yeah, baby. What do you say yeah. to that, right? So. Yeah, yeah. That's I say. She won that one. She did. One she froze line, me. and she got you back. She got you back for all those asinine uh, things she uh, did. <laughs> wow. Well, maybe on that yeah, note. On that great uh, note. That's that's her, that's her, you, the last line of the podcast. You so did you have...
woke up just enough to see the sun that come up. I went down, made some tea, one for you, one for me. I opened the curtains for my cat, black sunlight lying on his back. I woke up. What do you know? Another day. I can't find my cell phone. I went outside. Bare feet in the grass. My neighbor didn't say hi, so I couldn't say hi back. I went back. You were in the shower. Figured we were going someplace within the hour. Turned out some music and sang along. It was Maxie Nightingale, feeling alright and coming on. Everybody forget 